Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, I am excited to share this week's interview with you. This topic is one that is increasingly recognized as one of the most caustic and insidious problems in healthcare delivery today. It's really about the dehumanization of healthcare and the empathetic resistance that will be required to rehumanize healthcare. It's a serious topic, but our guest this week approaches it with a sense of humor and a hopefulness that I find incredibly inspiring. I feel so grateful about the opportunity to speak with our guest today, Samuel Shem. And for those of you who don't recognize that name, Shem is his pseudonym. It's the author of one of the greatest pieces of medical fiction of our era, The House of God, which was published in 1979. Nearly 40 years later, in November of 2019, Shem published a sequel entitled Man's Fourth Best Hospital. We'll be discussing both books during this interview. But before that, a couple of messages. If you haven't already done so, I am inviting you to subscribe to my podcast newsletter. It comes out every other week and includes a detailed description of the podcast episode, news about upcoming guests, as well as updates on my ongoing work to reframe healthcare. To subscribe, go to my website, www.reframehealthcare.org, and click on the podcast page. Just enter your email address in the pop-up box and hit subscribe. It's that simple. So friends, it is my honor to introduce Sam Shem as this week's podcast guest. Samuel Shem is the widely regarded author of The House of God, a novel that he published in 1979 after a medical internship year at Beth Israel Hospital, a Harvard-affiliated teaching hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. The House of God has sold over 2 million copies and has been read by generations of physicians. It chronicles the abusive circumstances of medical training and medical care that he experienced as a medical intern. It is one of the most honest and hilarious renditions of what it is to train that I've ever come across. Uh, Shem retired from medicine a few years ago to pursue writing full-time but was invited five years ago to teach medical humanities at the NYU Medical Center in Manhattan. Confronted with a new set of dehumanizing experiences, he was compelled to write this most recent novel, Man's Fourth Best Hospital, which also takes place in Boston. Dr. Shem is a novelist, playwright, and for three decades, a member of the Harvard Medical School faculty. He graduated from Harvard College, Harvard School of Medicine, and earned a PhD as a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. Without further ado, let's drop into this interview, which was recorded in December of 2019, just a month after his new book release. So, Shem, it is such a pleasure to have an opportunity to speak with you. I've spent the past few days just reading your book, pouring myself into it, and, and letting it pour into me. And I will say I've gone through emotions. Um, I just think it is a book that everyone in healthcare should read. There are a number of key themes that repeatedly come up in your book, A Man's Fourth Best Hospital. One is the issue of empathy, the human connection over and over again. And you talk about it in the stories. It's there in the dialogue. Another is the issue of resistance. And I believe these two are connected in some way. And I want to talk about a comment you made on page 207, you refer to your first novel, uh, The House of God, as a primer of nonviolent resistance. 
And so I'm curious, I'd love to hear more about that because I never would have thought of it that way until you wrote it in this book. And so could you say more about how you saw the house of God as a primer of nonviolent resistance, how you see this book as a primer of nonviolent resistance, and how you connect that to this theme that is just so ubiquitous in your writing, which is the theme of empathy and human connection? Yeah, uh, that's a very, very good question. Um, I didn't realize when I wrote The House of God what I was doing. I was just, you know, it's my first novel. I just jumped in. And at first it was a catharsis. And then seven drafts later, it was a book. What I realized after, you know, after the book came out and I started thinking about it and, and going out speaking about it, I realized it was, you know, as I, the one paper I published in medicine is in annals, it's called Fiction as Resistance. And I realized that it was, it was a resistance document, a resistance story. And, you know, we don't know really why we're doing things, what's pushing us along, you know, in our lives, uh, things that we don't really, uh, that are not conscious. I realize that I and my guys, they're almost all guys in those days in the house of God, were pushed along by our historical participation in the late 60s, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that when we uh, came up against the hierarchical and unjust structure of the house of God, we naturally just resisted it. And the reason that I had confidence that was unconscious at that time was that we in the 60s realized if we saw an injustice, we got together, we could change things. And guess what? We helped put the civil rights laws on the books and we ended the Vietnam War. So I'm the kind of guy in my generation, some of us are, hey, we can actually have an effect, which is more than ever needed in healthcare and in the country and, and in the uh, crisis thing. But we need this resistance more than ever in my life. And I'm 75 now, more than ever in my life. We need to get together as doctors and nurses and others to stop this, to stop what's going on now, to get fair and good and humane healthcare. Out of this kind of resistance and in this kind of resistance is a sense of connection. Doctors don't connect with each other for action very often. They really don't. They're not like nurses. And so what gets me going to start a novel like this in the House of God and, and other things is uh, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, this is all in retrospect. I didn't know what I was doing with the House of God. I just did it as a catharsis, first of all. But uh, what gets me going is when I am, see a whole bunch of what I call, hey, wait a second moments, this is unjust. And it happened in the House of God. And then I wanted to write a, a sequel, but I wasn't in medicine anymore, really, on the wards. I got a call five years ago from NYU Medical School. You say, hey, you want to be a doctor at NYU Medical School? And I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, dummy, we want you to teach the house of God. And Harvard hated me for the house of God, of course. And NYU brought me in. And it's the best system I've ever seen, NYU Medical School and all. And all of a sudden, I saw what modern medicine is like. And to put it very briefly, I saw all the miracles I don't even have to name them for doctors. They know what they are and patients. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I also saw by going out on the wards, by spending a night in the uh, Bellevue emergency room, I also saw something that made me feel, hey, wait a second, this is not right. And the two things I saw right away, uh, as Roy Bash says at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. I'm called to write this novel because it was a time when medicine could go in one of two ways, either toward more humane care or toward money and screens, which means money and money. And that set me on fire. And I just wrote this pretty quickly because I know how to write now. I didn't know with the house of God. And so that's the resistance part in this. That's what the book's about. Mm -hmm. And in order to successfully survive horrific situations that we doctors and nurses and all feel in this, uh, you know, money and money situation with the screens, you have to be able to connect to other doctors, nurses, patients to get some action going in the larger, mm-hmm. in the larger system. So there is a relationship, as you said, between resistance and empathy. And what I hope this book would do, and I think it accomplishes, is to show the journey of, uh, of uh, well, I, I, you know, I'll just give a, a, a very short, for those who don't know the book yet, it's just out. The book is uh, about the fat man getting a chance mm-hmm. in a big hierarchical uh, hospital called Man's Fourth Best Hospital, which has unfortunately gone down from Man's First to Man's Fourth. They bring him in because he's so successful and rich from Hollywood and Silicon Valley. They, they say, we need your prestige and your money, basically. What do you want to do here uh, if, to join, right? You get a carte blanche. And he said, what I want to do is to create an outpatient public clinic leaning up against your big skyscrapers and get my guys and women together to put the human back in healthcare. That's his mission. That's what the book's about. Mm-hmm. And when his wish and fever, as only he could be and do, really does everything he want, he, he knows is right in terms of trying to create a humane health care, it comes up against the great forces that we all know, screens and money, mm-hmm. and that's the book. Many of us have, over the past few years, decades, actually have talked about the issue of the dehumanization of healthcare, and you obviously wrote about it nearly 40 years ago uh, in the House of God, and you come back and write about it now. How do you see that shift over time, and and how do you see the difference between the dehumanization of both doctors and patients and other providers and staff now versus then? As I said, what got me going to write the House of God was the trauma there that I described which I felt was unjust. Uh, the mm. way we were, we were forced to do uh, medicine was unjust. And the, the hot button issue, which of course made it very popular, certainly with doctors at the beginning, but more now other people, was the abuses of medical training. That was what it was about. It was how we were treated in this uh, bigger system. So it was focused really there, and it was really more for doctors, really, than doctors and patients, et cetera, in a larger group. 
And I was totally surprised. It's just, just people just absolutely, I didn't realize what I was doing. And all of a sudden, I'll tell you a funny story. Not funny, but the thing that changed me, my, my life actually, was I was very idealistic as a writer. It was my first thing ever published, uh, ever. And uh, I took a pen name for various reasons. And I decided I was a purist. I decided writers don't go out and talk about their books. They just let them, you know, do what they're going to do. And you go on. I did that for two years. I, nobody could get me. Nobody knew how to get me, except they could write letters through my publisher. And, you know, I didn't really know quite what was going on. I knew my friends were reading it and all that stuff. But I didn't do anything for two years until 1980. In 1980, I got a letter through my publisher that said, quote, I'm on call at night, all night, in a VA hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if it weren't for your book, I'd kill myself. Wow. And I had the same reaction that you had just then, like, oh, God, you know. And I said to myself, self, maybe people need to hear what you need to hear, mm-hmm. what you did and what you think. And so from that time on, in 1980, all the way till, you know, yesterday I was at the Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I talk about staying human in medicine, the danger of isolation and the healing power of good connection. And what's a good connection? A good connection, as anybody knows, is a mutual connection. So the two things I write, I write in resistance and I write to show the danger of isolation, etc. The yeah. big difference was that the house of God was really focused on injustice of medical training, the mm-hmm. brutality, etc. Mm-hmm. This book, the focus, as I said, is different. This is not a book just for doctors or people in medicine. This is this is showing doctors and patients and other healthcare workers and even hospitals being crushed by this mega industry, the healthcare industry, that could give two shits about the experience of doctors, patients, or even, I would say, hospitals. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Now, I've never put it that way before in my mind, but that seems to be what it's about. So it's a much broader attempt to, to, to reach patients and, and other people. You know this as a doctor. Every single day, we hear horrific stories from our colleagues and from patients about how no matter what the health care they're getting is, it's certainly not getting health care. 10% of people don't have health care in this country. Those are the forces that we have to resist, and it's necessary. It's absolutely clear, absolutely clear. And we can come to later in the show, what do we do about it? You know, again, what I really admired about your book, and I shared this with you before when we were talking and preparing for this program, People talk about statistics, about the fact that one out of every two doctors is burnt out, and the truth is 80% are, are probably burnt out uh, when you look at other statistics. Right. And then you look at patients, and their trust in the system is abysmal. You know, all these stats, there are so many surveys, uh, national, international, that show that just the trust in our healthcare system has just plummeted. People are fearful of the healthcare system, which they shouldn't be because such good people are in it. And so to your point, you know, humanity is being wrung out of, empathy is being wrung out of, a relationship is being wrung out of the system. You talk about in chapter 16, these six rackets of American healthcare, which I just, I have to say, your, your brutal honesty and your truthfulness is just so powerful. 
but what's also powerful, and I just want to share this with you, is you make it so real. I, I could almost see the movie. I could see the characters as they were suffering with the electronic medical record systems, literally taking hours every day to, to essentially put data in and try to take data out. As you put it, largely for the purpose of billing as opposed to the purpose of care. And again, I think the way you depicted that, to me, that was really the power of your message before you got to the solution. I think if people understood what providers have to go through and what patients have to suffer through as a result, and again, I don't think it's the electronic medical record alone, at least that's my opinion, but I'm curious as to, you said it so well in your book, I'm just, I'd love to hear a word from you about the six rackets, but more the actual, now, now you're saying you're at NYU, you're watching all this happening. It hurts you enough to compel you to write another book. Um, you had, as you right. said on page 33, I had some unfinished business here. I'm kind of curious about that. The sensation, again, you do it so well. Some of it is almost ludicrous, right? I mean, when you read it, you say this cannot be true, and yet it is true every single day in healthcare. Well, thank you for saying all that. I felt that if I was going to write this book about what I said is, is the central issue with patients and doctors, both in this, I had to really find out what was going on. And the fat man does give a lecture sort of in the middle of the book to his clinic group uh, called The Six Rackets of American Healthcare, colon, follow the money. And it took me two months of talking to people, reading, et cetera, to figure out how all these things connect, you know, all the way from the computer to hedge funds. I'm glad you like that because I, I'll make one comment. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, I have come to understand and believe that I'm, a, I'm gifted in that, it's made me a crazy brain or something, that when I see something like this, I immediately go to kind of, you know, sort of laughter. <laughs> I mean, what I hear from people, even after all these years about the house of God, is that I, you made me laugh about how bad it was. Mm. That got me through it. This was the divinity coming down and touching me on the shoulder when I started writing The House of God. I said, if you're going to write this, this is so bad. At the beginning, anyway, it has to ride on humor. And so we're laughing and horrified at the same time. I think you, that's what you're responding to. Yes. That, yeah, it's a kind of a funny way of putting together all of healthcare, but it's absolutely true. So you're laughing and you're crying at the same time. And then he does offer what he thinks are solutions. The issue isn't the computers. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're billing machines. What is the solution? What do you think the way out of this is? Well, I know what the way out of it is. And I'll try to be as clear as possible. Um, And I think what I tried to do in this book was to earn it, earn the reader's attention so that they see what the core issue is. As you said, the fat man gives a lecture on what to do about it at the end of the book and, you know, we'll reveal it. (laughs) I'll tell a little little quick story uh, in my research. Um, I was speaking to um, medical students uh, here in Boston a couple of years ago, three years ago, um, and uh, they, they were saying how because of the screens, the electronic medical record, they were not getting any teaching from their residents because they would just do these silly rounds and rush to their screens. And I asked them, have you found a better 
computer system. Have you ever heard of one? They said, they thought, they said, yeah, you know what? Yeah, what? The Veterans Administration. Hmm. I said, well, what's good about it? Well, they let us write on their screens. It's kind of cr clunky. It's interoperable all over the country. It, you know, it's kind of good. And I said, well, why is that? And here's what woke me up. They said, they thought about it. These are students. Right. They thought about it and they said, well, because there's no billing. I think you really nailed it. And I think this idea that it's not the machine and it's not the electronic medical record, it's the putting the profit motive and putting the war, as you say, that struggle uh, to bill high and then, you know, that war for the insurance companies on the other end to, to reduce that, putting that in right smack dab in the center of the doctor-patient or the provider-patient relationship and in the center of the care of people. I've never heard that described in that way. And I just, I think you really, really nailed it. And you can't take the profit motive out of healthcare or is that what you're suggesting? Or how do you, how does that jive with what you're going to be writing and talking about? There is a need to have a national health care insurance. It's the only thing that's going to work. Mm -hmm. But there's no need to get rid of private insurance. That's, mm -hmm. that's my point. Mm -hmm. And what we doctors and patients and, and hospitals need is to have a very efficient way of saying what the data is and sending it all, all over the place. And that's fine. Um, you know, what I say in the book, maybe, I, yeah, I say in the book is that, you know, the war, there's a war across the screen now mm -hmm. that uses all of our energy and time. And like all wars, it's about money. <laughs> you know, I think this is pretty simple. The insurance companies that will have to bill and pay by themselves will be subject to market forces. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing to me, or maybe it shouldn't be, it's amazing to me that doctors don't put this together. I, I was I was meeting with some I was teaching some medical students in a journalism class actually uh, they were fourth year they were very experienced they, you know ready for their internship and you know they hated all the time even as students they had to pay in and you know they don't get taught and stuff and I said well what do you think you can do about it and they thought and they thought yeah I don't know we don't know we don't know what he could what we could do about it it's very rare we're so brainwashed. Mm -hmm. They didn't see that the problem was, was the billing uh, for profit. They didn't see that. And when I said, well, suppose, you know, you didn't have to work on, uh, you know, getting the insurance company, uh, the right thing for an insurance company, that it's the money. It's the money, stupid. I have the benefit because I'm not at the screen every day. Like I, I just hate what doctors and others are forced to do. I'm not on the front lines. Uh, that let me see this clearly because you get so messed up in the, you know, sort of like the frog in the, you know, on the stove, you know, you get so messed up, you can't see clearly. The other part of the solution, I'll, I'll say, if you don't mind, is very clear as well. How do we get this? How do we doctors and nurses, et cetera, get this? We get what we want, which is really to practice medicine for fun and enough profit, and that's another issue, but I have some answers to that. The only way to get this is to ally not just doctors together, which are, we're very bad of because we're so self-reliant, mm -hmm. doctors, nurses, and patients, and maybe even hospitals. We have to ally, however, whatever that means, however it happens. Um, unions, uh, absolutely we need a union now. I mean, the nurses always win. Mm -hmm. The nurses always win whenever they threaten to strike. I mean, it's mm -hmm. unbelievable.
But we have to ally with nurses and patients in hospitals to say, hey, look, this is what we want. Get your damn billing out of our hospitals. Get your damn billing off of our screens. Everything would be pretty good if you did that. There's no reason why it wouldn't work. The other thing what, what one com, comes up against is doctors say to me when I talk about a national system, they say, well, we can't live on Medicare payments and hospitals can't live on Medicare payments. Right. Absolutely not. Okay. What we have to do is when Congress is debating what they're going to get within the next five years, we doctors say as a group in alliance with nurses and others and patients, we say, okay, that's fine. You could have a sort of like a national healthcare system. We're not going to work unless we get paid what we need to get paid. We can't get paid Medicaid. You know, so that, right. so that looks, what looks like a danger is an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Doctors would be so glad to get freed of all this bullshit billing that, you know, they'd negotiate something reasonable. I really believe that to have a life. You know, there were moments in the book where I was really down. And I think you've almost added a, an addendum to the book in your, your post-book publication uh, sort of articulation of this. How do you feel about the future of healthcare in this country? I feel very hopeful. I feel very hopeful about this. Because, like all movements, like the uh, civil rights movement and the stopping the Vietnam War movements, um, and even, you know, this impeachment thing, no matter where it goes, it's very hopeful in the midst of all this crap. It's amazing, actually, that this has come about, that people are speaking truth to power every single day. These diplomats that are coming forth, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really inspiring. And so my hope comes from experience, you know, over the years, but seeing how things can actually happen that are good. And also, I'm a hopeful guy. I don't forget. My wife tells me to keep saying this, but I don't say it because it's, it's it, I don't think this way quietly, that everything I have managed to accomplish in these two books rides on laughter. It lets us laugh. You know, we're laughing and then we're crying. And you need both of those things. Uh, you know, when you look at spiritual teachers or when you look at Gandhi or, or Martin Luther King, they held to hope. And this is a lot easier thing to do to change healthcare, I think, because the big hierarchies are, are going to crumble under their own uh, at the start of section three, in, in which you titled The Sick Empire, you have a quote, and it's, to create is to resist, to resist is to create. Why did you put that quote in there? Why is it so important? Oh, well, that's a remarkable, it's a remarkable little book from, um, his name escapes me now. Hessel, was it? Hessel, right. A uh, French resistance fighter who wrote this book when he was 90, describing his, uh, what he'd done as a, as a uh, resistor of the Nazis and then as a, as a writer afterwards in Paris. And he died very old at 100 or something like that. And I've always been struck by that, I think, because it speaks to me. It's what I do. To resist is to create. To create is to resist. Mm. And that's true, because in order to resist, you have to be creative. And you mm-hmm. do it in all kinds of uh, 
of different ways. And, you know, let me broaden this. Then. Let, me, let me open this up uh, more. The reason I called the um, third section of the book The Sick Empire is because you can't view healthcare in isolation from what's happening in the country and the world. Two big things. I mean, I've got to mention climate change. It's boring. Everybody hates listening to it. My wife's very involved in it, and I try to be supportive of her anyway. But as I say, I think on page two or something like that, which is sort of looking back, I describe how you know in Costa Rica, where we do have a, a house, and all of that first chapter is basically true. It, you know, the birds that used to be the seabirds have now gone up to the mountains. There's no more motmots, these beautiful birds. Right. You know. But I talk about then, actually, a couple of lines only, is that the climate is in the rooms. The climate, climate is in your patients' rooms because they're affecting the diseases that we see now. Absolutely. It's affecting all of our work. We have to keep the two larger mm -hmm. issues in the climate change, which everybody's aware of, and also how, uh, let's face it, uh, this system is in many ways a system that is racist, that is not focused toward the common good and the poor. And we have to understand that, isn't it true that what at least good versions of, of Medicaid uh, have helped a lot? And, and yet, even even people who have money now are are crushed under bankruptcy bankruptcy mm. single operation so all this is to say in our resist, resistance and creation it's really important to uh see it in the larger picture that is everyone trying to work to make bigger things better but but health health of, of a population health in a country is really important you know, we live in a shallow uh, culture and society right now. And so there, you know, and it's not just the institution of healthcare, it's education, it's other institutions as well, government, et cetera. The hopeful thing is that if you see this reality, which I think is so much a part of the book that you wrote, if you can see the reality, you have the opportunity to change it. And what right. I love about your, and I, for me, that line to create is to resist, to resist is to create is one of the most hopeful lines of the book because it's, it's not about destroying. It's, it's not about even deconstructing. It's about creating. And uh, right. that, that's been the theme of my work and the focus of my work. So that so resonated with me. Uh, is there a final message that you have uh, or just a, a, a final sign off? Well, I would say to you, bravo you. And I would love to be to continue because connections are continuous right mm -hmm. and uh i would say uh, you know contact me you know and i put this out there for your audience i'm at shem at comcast.net mm -hmm. um the, yeah the one thing i would say well two things first of all look look in newsweek mm -hmm. why keep computerized medical records are bad for both you and your doctor it's an opinion piece i wrote which i think is the best i've ever done sort wow. of talking about this you can put that out. But the thing that I feel now, having turned 75 recently, is, you know, how in life, you know, but for a flicker of a butterfly's wing, you know, I never would have gotten that call from NYU. And the book's not about NYU, I just have to say that. But I feel right now, not only hopeful, 
but I feel full of gratitude for getting this out there. Folks, I want to thank our guest, Sam Sham, for being a part of creating new healthcare and bringing us his fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions in our quest to advance a sustainable, value-based, consumer-oriented healthcare system. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take a, a minute just to do a little bit of an analysis of the interview. I know that Shem's analysis and his suggestions can be um, a little bit thought-provoking, a little disarming. For sure, they're topical and timely, and most of us would agree that our healthcare delivery system is grossly inadequate. It's poorly aligned to the needs of our populations. It's financially unsustainable, and it's in need of significant positive disruption. You know, what I found most compelling about Shem's book and this interview is his unrelenting hopefulness, his belief that as long as we are connected with one another in just pursuits, as long as we can all have a voice in honest, open dialogue, as long as we are able to speak truth to power, as long as we can be critical thinkers and creators, and as long as we maintain a mutual empathy and a respectful sense of humor, we can change the world for the better. I've read a number of critiques of Shem's latest book uh, on Amazon.com and uh, on the internet. And what I believe these critics have missed is the major point, which Shem summarizes so well with this quote by Stefan Hessel, to create is to resist, to resist is to create. What his recent critics have misunderstood about Shem is that he is a human rights activist as much as he is an artist. He is not here to win intellectual awards or critical acclaim. He is here to actively resist and through his words to catalyze positive change. You know, we recently honored the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. who said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Sam Shem, in the great tradition of MLK, refuses to be silent and I believe Sham is calling us also not to be silent, but instead to be an active participant in the creative resistance, in the empathetic resistance to rehumanize healthcare. And as I do every episode, I'd like to thank all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. And as always, I hope you've benefited from this podcast episode as much as I have. My goal is to provide you with useful information as well as encouragement and inspiration and to serve as a catalyst for reframing and transforming our healthcare system. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.